Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Glad you're all here this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you with a deep sense of gratitude, of care, of concern, of devotion, and of love for you, and a desire to live responsively to you. And we sense that we're with friends in your company of followers, friends who share the life of the resurrection and want others to get in on it and to notice it like in baptism and begin to participate at the center instead of standing on the periphery. And I pray for strength. I pray for discernment to understand the culture that we are in. And I pray that whatever uh, we are and wherever the places that we go back into, may we be a part of this resurrection life and may we take it with us. God, we know you're present. We know you're doing your work. So keep us faithful. Keep us attentive. Keep us adorational, sacrificial, and personal. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray this. Amen. And so today we conclude our God in the Movie series. And uh, if you're new here, you're visiting soul, you might be thinking movies in church, really? Well, because for a lot of years, many churches, many Christians, you know, uh, spent a lot of time telling people not to even go to movies, and now we have people watching movies before they go to church. Um, and I'll just say this, this is not a critique of a movie, that's not what you've walked into, there's a place for that, but that's not what this morning's all about. Um, and also what I have found that this whole series, especially this latest one that we've walked through, is not a lightweight series, you know, where we take a break, you know, away from the biblical serious stuff and have a little fun. I've noticed, if anything, that uh, these life lessons have probably been, for me, the most theologically laden talks I've given on a Sunday morning. And so let me be clear that I'm not endorsing everything that uh, a movie, in a movie that we feature here in God in the Movies, you can go back on our website, you can catch yourself up to speed on that. Uh, but I do see it as m movies are a tool for learning uh, about God, believe it or not. And you might be asking, well, you know, you're using an R-rated movie because I hear this all the time. Uh, and some part of our culture doesn't care and other parts of our culture really have their shorts in a knot. And uh, I'll, I'll just respond to this. Uh, I understand the point being made and uh, I personally always have to keep in mind what I am trying to communicate and how I use a film um, and the clips that I show with a particular judgment call. And I'm always asking myself, you know, is there any redemptive value uh, in any particular film that, uh, not only that I watch, but that we feature, let's say, in a God in the movies? And, uh, and, and it's not always about fluff. And it's, it's, it's interesting because, and I don't want to bash the Christian movie genre, but let me bash the Christian movie genre for a moment. You know, when I ask for suggestions of movies and people are saying, you know, the, the War Room and other stuff, I've got to be really honest with you, I haven't watched one of them. Now, some of you are going to go, oh, I can't believe that. No, actually, it's been very freeing for me not to watch a Christian film. But, but, um, culture is moving in a very strong direction. And I think that we need to be able to analyze culture, look at culture and saying, what is culture saying to us and where is God moving. See, because God is already at work far before we even arrive at the scene. And I think that that's sometimes what we have to do. And so sometimes many films that are, even R-rated films, have wonderful messages of redemption, even though there might be these objectionable elements that wouldn't be fit to, to expose some people to. And I say that because um, 
I don't want to expose people to R-rated movies in the sense that we all have our own different convictions and sensibilities. But sometimes some of these things are just pieces of art. And uh, if you just go by the ratings themselves, you miss out on many of the messages that are actually out there. And sometimes they are beautiful and sometimes they are horrible. And uh, an example of today is, is what we're looking at, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. You know, we've done all different types of genres of movies. And I chose to end on this one just simply because um, uh, I did. <laughs> it's kind of like a guy. We have a guy in our life group who's all about Band of Brothers. He wants to call our life group Band of Brothers. The wives are kind of like going, what are you talking about? Uh, he wants to show all the Band of Brothers series from start to finish and, you know, let's analyze it. He's no longer in our life group. But um, uh, we're going to look at Hacksaw Ridge. And Hacksaw Ridge is interesting because it's the bloodiest movie ever about pacifism. Now, if, uh, usually I ask who, I got I to gotta ask this question because last week we did Lion. Lion was a phenomenal, if you have not seen the movie Lion, you need to watch it. And I asked, you know, how many people have seen Lion and, and hardly anybody s saw this flick. Now, I'm going to ask this question. How many of you have seen Hacksaw Ridge? Much more than Lion. Okay, now that's interesting. Because, um, as I said earlier, I don't want to offend people's sensibilities and values. And, and again, I'm not telling you that you need to watch this movie. Lion, on the other hand, get out from underneath your rock and watch that movie. This one, it's a whole different story. Um, uh, make informed decisions. And I've often told people before you read movies, there's other things that are out there like plugged in and screen it that you can read ahead of time. Especially, like I get emails from people, hey, should I watch this with my family? And I go, that's a judgment call for you and as a parent. I'm not going to tell you what you determine your values for your kids. Do your research. Maybe watch something first by yourself before you bring other people in. And yet I had a conversation with somebody who... Uh, uh, had his kids watch this movie in its entirety, you know, saying, hey, you may want to close your eyes at certain things, but I need you to see the sacrifice that was paid. And so it was a historical lesson for their children. And, and again, we have different values that I think that we have to communicate and walk through. Any good movie that you turn on is going to point to the state of the human condition. What's the human condition? Um, this is the second film that we're actually tackling that looks at the condition of suffering. If you've been with us, uh, the first one was Martin Scorsese's film, Silence. And again, it's available to watch online. We've done our best to have the cues because of uh, copyright. We can't show the cues, so you can see it there. And you can knock yourself out trying to watch what we were showing. But uh, Silence is interesting. If you remember Father, Father Rodriguez, he travels to Japan and he sees Christians being crucified, persecuted, beheaded, set on fire. And in Hacksaw Ridge, our character is Desmond Doss, ironically played by the same actor. And Desmond Doss is a nonviolent, conscientious objector and he attempts to rescue wounded soldiers from the front lines. And in the process, he's risking his own life. And uh, uh, both men in, in the movies portrayed are informed by their Christian faith. They, they are solid believers. Both call out to God in prayer throughout the, the, the films as they seek to alleviate the suffering. Uh, both films actually wrestle with uh, the honest questions uh, of where is God when there are people being brutally killed before their eyes. And both rest with, you know, why can't, you know, where's God's response? And where are our prayers? And why is it so cruel? Why is there, 
you know, so inexplicably random. What's going on? And so there's a whole lot of questions that are going on there. And silence in itself sort of uh, paints a painfully familiar portrait of the doubts, actually, that most Christians feel at some point in their lives. And yet it's easy to forget, and we, we embrace those doubts, and it's easy to forget, though, that God does deliver those who cry out to him, whether it was Daniel in the lion's den or whether it's like, as we'll see, on a battlefield or even in the darkest and blackest nights of our own soul. So Hacksaw Ridge is a film that's actually based on a true story, Desmond's Doss. He never wanted his story told. He never wanted it put in film because he didn't trust Hollywood. And then Mel Gibson shows up. Go figure that. And so Desmond Doss was a World War II medic. And uh, he was a conscientious objector, and he's the first recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor, which is awarded, which he was awarded because he saved the lives of over 75 men without firing a shot from his rifle. Uh, at the battle, that where we get the name of the movie from, called Hacksaw Ridge, and juxtaposed over the top, and when you first turn on this movie and you begin to watch it, you hear Desmond Doss quoting from Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31. And then the movie jumps back in time, and it takes us about 16 years back, and we see Desmond and his brother doing what brothers do, and then something that takes place that is actually very formative in Desmond's life. Watch this clip. So watching the film, there's a whole number of lessons that I actually walked away with that I want to share with you. And the first one being Father's Day is interesting because, you know, Mother's Day, we recognize mothers. Mothers are always the greatest. And usually in every church, we on Mother's Day just, you know, fawn over mothers. And then when it comes to Father's Day, we say, you guys suck and you need to pick up your bootstraps, you know, because you're bad dads. Um, in keeping with that theme... Uh, <laughs> I think he cannot help but watch this film and see how strong a father's influence is. Um, fathers have an incredible voice in the life of their kids. get through this. Hang on. Anybody got anything stronger than water? <clears throat> Influences. If you're visiting here, I don't always ball, but they... <clears throat> As fathers, our influence should be wielded with a care. So our actions, because we're good or bad, there are bad dads, and I would think that any one of us as fathers would admit that there are times that we're bad dads. But uh, sometimes our actions um, uh, 
create a trajectory for our kids. I just got to get through this paragraph, all right? So just bear with me. Let me read it. Uh, Okay, sometimes our actions, uh, good or bad, create a trajectory for their kids that can't be fully understood in the here and now. And so the negative behavior portrayed by Desmond's father, Tom, which is his name, actually helped set that trajectory and worldview for Desmond as an adult. You see that throughout the film. And dads, I'll just say, it's never too late for us to redeem ourselves uh, for past mistakes. Never too late. And, and Tom does eventually in the movie, and he steps up for his son in a, in a time where his son later needs him. But amongst, uh, uh, along with that comes the fact that um, we recognize that there are defining moments in all of our lives. And Desmond hits his brother in the head with a brick, which, you know, ends a fist fight. Go figure that one out. Quite quickly, I might add. But it's in that moment that Desmond recognizes that his anger almost kills his brother. Very interesting aspect. And uh, when Desmond is older, he, he actually, the movie goes on, he stops his dad from attacking his mother with a gun. Dad's a World War I vet going through his own stuff, has his issues regarding um, the war. And it sets in motion now for Desmond a decision never to pick up a weapon. That's his decision. This is his story. He actually gave the thumbs up on this movie as actually uh, uh, very articulately played in every aspect. It's not just a director's runaway with. And we all have these defining moments in life that are, and we're all changed by defining moments. And many times either for the better or for the worse. And, And the question I ask is, what are some of your defining moments? You're sitting here this morning. What are the defining moments that have brought you to this point to this day? And then the next question is, what are the convictions that you hold? What are the convictions that you hold? What are the things that have defined you, made you who you are? And what are the convictions that you hold? If you sit back into me and you say, well, you know what? I just feel like that is not a conviction. That's a feeling. And now there's nothing wrong with feelings. I feel itchy most of the time. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're spouting off what's ever in your head, and you know what, okay, that's fine, but I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that's bad, but there's a difference between a concept and there's a difference between the convictions that we hold on to. And a conviction is a firmly held belief that you have thought through, that you have processed, and that, not only that, it actually affects the way that you live your life, and we're told that we are to hold on to our convictions. Why? Because they become defining moments in our lives. What has defined you? What are your convictions? And another takeaway was the importance of a, parents or, uh, a parent or parents in the grounding of their children in the scriptures. Uh, you, you, we have three baptisms of three, three wonderful people growing up in families where they were grounded in scripture. I think that that's a testimony to what's going on, and I just want to reiterate that here too. If you remember a while back, I uh, shared numerous stats uh, about benefits about attending church. I don't know if you remember that life lesson, so I want to give you the top five, a little brief refreshment. Uh, no, no real order, but uh, uh, the benefit of t- attending church, the first one is significantly lower risk of depression. You're going, oh yeah, I'm sure, Jerry. Actually, researchers in the University of all places, Saskatchewan, found that the incidence of clinical depression was 22% lower amongst those who attended religious services at least once a month compared to those who never attend. 
they get paid to do this research. And however, the research showed that there are indeed protective factors that are exclusive to church services. Interesting. Number two, better time and life management. People who attend church have a better ability to manage time to achieve their goals. All church attendance has a direct effect on reducing deviant behavior such as drug use, violence, and delinquency amongst at-risk youth. If you're going, well, I'd like to see those quotes, I will got them because I have them in my notes for you. Better grades is the third one. Higher education prospects. Church attendance, think about this, uh, is correlated with higher math, reading scores, greater educational aspirations. Church attenders are more likely to complete homework and degree programs. Isn't that interesting? Number four, significantly lower risk of death and longer life expectancy. Well, don't get me wrong, the rate of Christian, um, uh, the rate for Christians who die right now is 100%. It's just out there, all right? But apparently some people just live a little bit longer before that 100% kicks in. Now those, and it says this, those who go to church more than once a week enjoy even better health than those who attend only once a week. Overall, the reduction in mortality attributed to church going is 25%. A huge amount in our studies. Once again, researchers thought that perhaps it was simply due to having a strong supportive relationships, having people around you, but non-church-centered groups didn't experience the same effect. Um, And I just find that profound. And then number five, better sex lives, okay? Got to throw it out there. I'm not making this up. University of Chicago uh, uh, studied that the most comprehensive and methodologically sound sex survey ever conducted found dramatically higher rates of the big O in women who attend church services religiously. Welcome to Seoul. I just had to throw that out there. This was echoed by Stanford University and all this other things. So even if you don't believe in God, there are plenty of good reasons to get your butt in a chair every Sunday. And we see what we see here is, and we see on the screen, but I go, let's go off the screen. Let's bring it into real life. The importance that family puts on faith and imparting values into our kids and the outcome that comes from there is immeasurable. Are you tracking with me? And you want your kids to grow up. You want them to make a difference in the world. And so my, my, my plea as a pastor is ground them in the scriptures, ground them in the church, Make it a priority. Make it a conviction that they won't sway from. Later, when he's a young man, Desmond saves the life of another man who's injured in an accident, and he applies a a belt as a tourniquet, saves the guy's life at the hospital. There, he stumbles across a beautiful young lady named Dorothy, who's a nurse. Uh, The war breaks out. That nurse becomes his girlfriend. Desmond now makes the decision to enlist yeah, even though his religious convictions don't allow him to take the life of another person or even pick up a weapon. And uh, that's actually not an odd position to hold. Many Christians who have considered themselves to be people of the book, people of the Bible, they would point out, and I've heard this over and over again, that Jesus appeared to teach pacifism during his ministry, when he told his disciples, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. 
Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You start going through history, we'll even see that the early church fathers and, other, uh, and others in history interpreted Jesus' teaching as advocating nonviolence. And Desmond's strong Christian convictions come from his upbringing in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And you can do your own research and homework on that. Uh, but they are not the only ones with pacifistic roots or pacifist roots. Now, I'm a Pentecostal, uh, sort of a closet Pentecostal. And many of you know that uh, uh, you have your own Mennonite roots, yeah, the Mennonites, the Pentecostals don't say anything, but the Mennonites, yeah, that's us, all right. But they don't put up their hands because they're non-demonstrative. <laughs> but did you know that both the Pentecostals and the Mennonites actually share pacifist heritage? That actually flows out of, when you begin to do the history, flows out of a rejection of nationalism. Now again, the Mennonites started a little bit earlier, Right? This rich heritage from Men of Simons, it's well known. But most Pentecostals have absolutely no idea of their pacifist heritage and its eventual loss as the Pentecostals started to seek social acceptance. Isn't that interesting? Azusa Street, way in the early 1900s, that's where basically the Pentecostals grabbed their identity. The Spirit of God is poured out, things happen. That pacifist sentiment was so strong. Uh, and it was uh, the Assemblies of God, which is uh, one of the major Pentecostal denominations in the United States. It, it, was, it was pacifistic at nature. Only by the 60s, they'll begin to change. And uh, we see things have changed along the lines. However, we now find ourselves in World War II. And during World War II, many pacifists actually participated as medics, as ambulance drivers, as uh, cooks as other non-combatant roles. And at one point, I love what Desmond says, he prefers to think of himself as a conscientious cooperator, which was interesting. He supports the effort of the war, but he cannot personally take the life of another person. And of course, this gets out to the rest of the troops, and then this happens. Don't look for him to save you on the battlefield because he's wrestling with his own conscience. And I think this is so ironic because Desmond ends up just about saving everybody on that battlefield because he wrestled with his conscience. And I believe it's actually something that we all need to do. We need to wrestle with our conscience. And even for Desmond, what he was going through isn't easy. And at one point, his his fiance, Dorothy, she asked him, what do you do when everything you value is under attack? And his reply is this, it's beautiful. He goes, I don't know. I don't have answers to questions that big. So throughout his, his basic training, he's harassed, he's mocked, he's beaten by his fellow soldiers, while his commanding officers try to force him to quit and make life just unbearable for him. And they even go so far as to uh, uh, charge him and to take him to be court-martialed for refusing to uh, pick up a rifle, for refusing an order from a superior officer. Eventually, Desmond is allowed to serve as a medic. Uh, the charge is dismissed. He goes into battle unarmed. And the second half of the film focuses now on the Battle of Okinawa where Desmond and his unit are assigned and they're assigned to climb the, and capture a steep escarpment known that they called Hacksaw Ridge. 
and it get, the film gets ugly really quickly, and it doesn't shy away from brutality. Um, a lot of negative reviews regarding this film in, in terms of the violence, which actually just stuns me, but it highlights Desmond's compassion about what he feels he's called to do. Strange things happen on the battlefield, and the very soldier who is antagonizing Desmond, who rode him the hardest, eventually becomes a close friend of his on Hacksaw Ridge. And while Desmond is there saving lives of, of the fellow soldiers, his friend Smitty is watching over him like a guardian angel, protecting Doss's life as well as Doss is rescuing others. And this proves far more difficult than anticipated. And as the chaos and the casualties ensue, the Americans are now being overwhelmed and they're forced to withdraw. And then this happens. Now remember, he never wanted his story told. Never wanted his story told. Prior to that, he just, his friend Smitty, his guardian angel, was just shot up. He just took Smitty to the edge of the escarpment to, lay, to, to bring him back down to get treated. And of course, Smitty didn't make it. And there Smitty's dead. And, and, and Desmond now is in utter despair because of the brutality of war around him. He looks and what does he say to God? He goes, what do you want of me? I don't understand. I, and I love it. Reminiscence of the film Silence. I can't hear you in his prayer. And then he hears the voice of a wounded soldier calling out for help, calling medic. And it was almost at that point in time he has a moment of clarity. And what does he do? He says, all right. <laughs> and he stands up and he puts his helmet back on. And as everybody else has already retreated, he heads back into the battle, <clears throat> beginning the legendary run that will end up saving over 75 men's lives. And there's a powerful message for all of us here. And, and God rarely speaks to us in an audible voice from heaven. But if we're truly listening, we are far more likely to hear God's voice in the cries and the needs of the hurting people around us. You know, three times Jesus looks at Peter after the resurrection. And he says, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. He also said, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters... You've done unto me. You want to hear the voice of God. Take a look around you. Throughout that climactic scene, Desmond's prayer was God, to, to God was very simple. He said, please, Lord, help me just get one more. One more. And he stays behind. He stays through the night, finding one wounded soldier after another, carrying each one back to the edge of the cliff, lowering them down to safety with a rope. And then he even finds Sergeant uh, Howell, which you saw earlier, and uh, saves his life and lowers him down. That same sergeant who gave him such a hard time and actually encouraged the rest of his unit to do so as well, he saves his life. And then after letting Sarge down, what does Desmond say? One more. And goes and he gets one more. And the enemy is advancing now. And we watch this. Now the cinematography of this is very interesting because Gibson was very intentional in what he did. And, and there are sometimes things that are going on that you don't really realize in, in, in clips that are happening that you don't really pick up on. But if you've watched this movie in its entirety, you will see that what Gibson tried to do is to show Desmond as a Christ figure. His hands become torn and ruined from lowering wounded soldiers down by rope. 
saving their lives. We're reminded of the hands of Christ. You're reminded of the pierced nails in, in order to procure our salvation as believers. And so make no mistake, Desmond Doss is portrayed in this film as a Christ type, and I believe it's very intentional. Very intentional. Early in the film, you see Desmond being mocked. You see him being beaten by soldiers. We watch as he literally turns the other cheek. And yet at the same time, he sort of heals the sick, so to speak, if I could put it that way. He, he restores sight to the blind. He helps the, the lame to walk, so to speak. He brings comfort. He brings good news to all those who are oppressed. He tells the commanding officer that even though he's not going to fight, he's prepared to give his life for his men. And he does. And he does over and over and over again. And so as the movie continues, the remaining soldiers, the word gets out about this guy's heroism. And he's cleaned up and he is repaired because he is hurt. And then he and Captain Glover have a conversation. Watch this. Another takeaway from this film is to find a way to forgive. <clears throat> Forgiveness is interesting because it's really never mentioned. This is the only place where that, that word is actually used in the entire film. And, you know, here he is. The intent on wanting to see Doss kicked out of the army. Captain Glover finds it hard to swallow his pride and to ask for forgiveness after witnessing all of Doss's incredible acts of courage. All I saw was a skinny kid. I didn't know who you were. You've done more than any other man could have done in the service of his country. Now I've never been more wrong about somebody in my life, and I hope one day you can forgive me. Let me address forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually countercultural. And first, as believers, we're told to forgive those who hurt us. Well, why, Jerry? Well, the first answer is because God has forgiven me. And if God has forgiven me, then I should forgive other people. Colossians says, never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And when I remember how much God has forgiven me, it makes me, it actually makes it a whole lot easier than for me to actually forgive other people. You'll never have to forgive anybody else more than what God has already forgiven you. And I'll never have to forgive anybody else more than God has forgiven me. And when you have a hard time forgiving other people, it's usually because you yourself don't feel forgiven. One person had said it this way, your capacity to forgive is directly related to your comprehension of how much God loves you. And some of us have been in the church almost all of our lives, if I can say that, and we have no clue how much God loves us. Because people who feel forgiven find it easier to forgive. People who feel unforgiven find it difficult to forgive. And you need to realize if God's forgiven me, then I need to forgive the other people and I need to live it out. And that's what Desmond did. And the other thing that comes along with forgiveness is courage. And this film is obviously all about courage. But Billy Graham said this. He says, when a brave man takes a stand, the spine of others are often stiffened. We saw in the film that Desmond's courage is contagious. His courage and his faith now, because it was lived out, had inspired others. Because it was tested literally under fire, was, has 
spoken in volumes. The soldier who was once beaten and scorned for what he believed now had an entire company waiting for him to finish praying prior to make their assault, their final assault on Hacksaw Ridge. Saving the wounded was not the only miracle of Hacksaw Ridge. From his commanding officer to (coughs) his fellow grunts, one by one, these men who had hurled such contempt into Doss were being transformed. The company faces another big battle. The call from headquarters comes in. What's the wait? You guys are 10 minutes. What's going on? Uh, we're just waiting for our medic to finish praying for all of them. The private. <laughs> They don't necessarily believe what he believes. This is interesting. They don't necessarily believe what he believes, but because he believes, they believe in him. And because he believes in prayer, his prayer matters. Think about that when we apply it to defining moments and convictions in our own lives. And the people who are around us, they may not necessarily believe what we believe, but because we live out our lives with our convictions, with the love of Christ, they can believe in us and that our prayers matter. How powerful is that? I'd like to point out that there's actually two ridges in the film. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is Hacksaw Ridge, the scene of the battle. But the less obvious one... it's there, you just don't think about it, is the Blue Mountains, that, that ridge of the Blue Mountains that Desmond in his childhood home of Virginia. He climbs that at the opening scene with his brother right before that fight, that accident changes his life. And then as a young man, Doss climbs that same ridge with his fiance Dorothy, and there pledges his love to her. But both ridges function as a metaphor for Desmond's struggles and achievements. It's in the shadow of the ridge, the shadows, that not just Desmond, but that you and I experience self-doubt and tragedy. But we also have these mountaintop, ridgetop experiences that transcend us into sometimes other worlds, do we not? The highs and the lows of life. And Desmond and his unit are ordered to do the final assault. They've learned to trust this guy. They refuse to go back up without him. The final assault is successful. But in this final assault, Desmond himself is wounded in action. And in that process, what happens is that all the fellow soldiers rally around him to do the unthinkable. Watch this. And so as the credits roll, we, uh, what happens, and that's why James ran up here, I'll just tell you, they don't have clip seven, so that's fine. I'll just tell you what it is. The, the, the credits roll, and we begin to see real footage of Desmond Doss being awarded the Medal of Honor by Harry Truman. And then what happens is that, obviously, later in life, just before his death, he's being interviewed, and he's reflecting back on his experiences, and They also interview another soldier that was there, one of his commanders, and um, you hear the grateful comments of the soldiers, these guys who originally harassed him only to be saved by him in battle. And that last two 
you know, two, two minutes. It's, it's so inspiring just to, to hear that. Here's a story. Here's a story about a person who had a defining moment in life, had these incredible convictions, and stood up for what he believed, but demonstrated that even under the most intense type of persecution here in our Western world, he stood, he stood for Christ. He stood for what he believed, and he showed the love of God. And so what's the takeaway this morning on this, this Father's Day? I would have to say that we have to have the courage to stand You and I need to, uh, in other words, let our faith inspire other people. Your faith is not a deterrent. Your faith is an inspiration. Let your faith inspire other people. And we have to find the courage to stand our ground. I'm finding in our culture, Christians tend to circle the wagons and, you know, we're, we're afraid. No, let's stand our ground. Let's stay true to what we believe. Let's never forget that it's God's opinion that we should value over the world's opinion. It's how we communicate that. Do we communicate it arrogantly? Do we communicate it angrily? Or do we communicate with love and with action. And Doss didn't live with himself. He couldn't live with himself if he compromised his belief. And likewise, our faith should be so important to us that we should, we, we too should rather suffer the anger of a world around us than give up on what we believe. Don't give up. If you think about it, If Doss would have compromised his own convictions, if he would have let his faith crumble, 75 people, individual men, would have not made it off that cliff. And people maybe in your own world might jeer at you. The respect that they will have when you don't give in will be immeasurable. Don't give in. Don't give up. We need more men and women to armor up, so to speak, to stand firm in their faith, to wave the banner of Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what comes at us in our culture, be it at your house or at your work or out on the street. Our culture is pushing back on all sides. It's pushing against who we are as believers. Oh, we got freedom of of, uh, religion in Canada. I'm seeing it starting to be taken away. And we need to know now more than ever as believers to take scripture to heart and to stand firm in our faith. Numerous scripture verses are put out there. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So you will stand firm against the evil schemes. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Uh, Not that we lord over your faith, but we are workers for you in your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught. You see, Scripture reinforces this idea that we are in a battle, that we need to stand firm in our faith. Our world needs authentic leadership. You watch the news lately. There's a bit of a vacancy going on. We need people of integrity, people who are going to stand up. Our society needs courageous leadership that's going to lead out in front. And even though Doss didn't believe in killing another person, he has this burning desire to enlist in the army. He didn't want to stay behind while others were sacrificing for him. Authentic leaders don't run or stay behind when there's evil or danger to to confront. They run at it to protect others. And Doss said, I'm prepared to give my life for my men. And when that begins to happen, then we must trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. We need to stand firm in our faith. My encouragement to you as believers today. 
And when life throat punches you, or we find ourselves in a difficult situation, let this example of this film be an unwavering, his unwavering faith, let it be a vivid reminder to you and to me. In the midst of hell, sometimes you meet God. I'm not sure if you figured out yet, but God often allows us to experience the full force of life. Can I put it that way? Because he wants us how to learn to trust him completely. He wants us to give us to give him his worries, our desires, our, our sadness, our happiness, our hearts, our entire lives. So why? He can transform it into something so good. And your response to any of the trials uh, that light throws at you will reveal what's really deep inside of you and it will reveal the depth of your relationship with God. And when we step into one of these narratives, we have choices. We can trust our circumstance to the Lord or we can deal with them on our own strength and probably crash and burn. And can I suggest in closing that Doss's story is a metaphor for our story. I often said when you watch a movie, there's your story, there's my story, there's God's story and somehow it all comes together. Like, you know, Josh was, uh, Doss was this Jesus figure, and I think we need to ask ourselves the question if we're willing to rescue the way that Das was willing to rescue. You know, Das is the picture of the church in today's culture. The church, which is you and me as believers, we need to carry people who belong to God back to God. Lord, let me save one more. That should be the prayer of every believer. Now, God, help me to save, because I don't do the saving. I can't do the saving. I'm not God. Uh, but we are instruments of pointing other hurting people to our world, to Jesus. We who have been radically rescued by God must radically rescue for God. Are you tracking with me? There must be an urgency in, in what we do. When I hashtag, when we advertise, hey, bring a friend, we're not just saying bring a friend we're saying bring a friend in two weeks time eric samuel tim is here it's the july long weekend not everybody has cottages not we're open we're happening we're here come and bring a friend it opens the door to conversation it opens the door uh, to invitation Evangelism is God's heart. It's a reflection of God's goodness in his heart. And as a church, every single one of us need to be like Desmond. Who was he? He was a rescuer. We all have a story. We all have a story of what God has done for us. We need to share the message to those who haven't heard. And God has done something to each of us. And for some of you, it's healing. For some of you, it's protection. For some of you, it's a deliverance. What you were set free from, that's your story. And use your story to invite people towards God's story. God wants to use you to touch the world around you with his love. That's amazing. He has plans for each one of our lives. And he wants us to use it to impact the people who are all around us. But we need as a church to wake up to this reality. You know what? What stand do you need to take when you leave here today? What, what convictions do you want to be known for? And people respond when you take a stand. Not always positive. 
Your issue, your stand, your belief, your passion may be different from anybody else's, but you may be the only one who can affect change or has what it takes to do something. Take a stand, people. See what happens. You know, some of you, you've been attending Seoul and you, you've heard a lot about Jesus and you may have been coming here for a long time or maybe this is actually your first day and some of you know what Jesus offers. You've heard pastors pontificate repeatedly. You come weekly, you sing the songs, you're, you're moved in your heart, you're touched deeply, but it's always to a point because each one of us has something that we're always searching for and we want peace, we want healing, we want you know, a new job, a relationship, restoration. There's always some sort of longing in our hearts. But maybe you have yet to take a stand. In silence, I closed with Proverbs 8.17. It says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. The good news, and listen to me, is that when you seek God, you will find God. I love what Debbie prayed in the baptism over her son Nick. If you heard it, she quoted scripture. That peace that passes all understanding. That there are times in our lives where things aren't going on, but there's a peace. Are you looking for that peace? And I'm asking you today, what if, what if I was to describe what's in your heart? Would you be willing to take a stand for Jesus? Would you be willing to be counted as a believer? Because I look at our world, and I'll say this, that Jesus is the only hope we have. Let's pray. God, there are those around us who are asking for healing of our brokenness. Maybe there are those that have wounds from the past and that have led to their decisions to today. So I just ask that you would heal us, but that you would also make us healers to those around us. May we believe that we can be restored by you and that you would give beauty for ashes. And God, today, for some, that's all we bring. We feel like our lives are like ashes in our hands and we come to you with mourning and despair and yet you will give joy. You say that you can give us praise and gladness in our hearts and then you tell us that we are planted like a strong tree for your glory. You also say that if we want to keep our life, we need to lose it. And so many of us don't know how to let loose of that rope. We're definitely maybe at the end of our rope, but we don't know how to let go and to trust you. So God, my prayer is that you'd give us the courage to trust you or to ask somebody that came with us today to pray with us and to lead us maybe out of this cave or this hole in which we find ourselves and to put our hand into your hand, Jesus. So God, give us the courage to invite you into our lives. Give us the courage to give up that addiction or whatever it may be and put it into your hands because we can't fix it, but you can. And God, let us accept, that, accept each day as a gift and let us follow the path you choose for us, I pray. And remind us that our role is to care for those around us and focus on those who need your help. Jordan McClellan, what do you have there? <laughs> I have a huge uh, beef tenderloin. Uh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> I'm Jordan. I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Seoul. And this morning, we're celebrating men. 
uh, for many of us, we're here today because of the influence and, you know, just the actions and just the care of other men in our lives. And so this morning, we want to give out a prize to a gentleman in our community. But before I do that, I just want to read through a couple of the um, papers that came in for us today to salute men. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, Ty Gammy, uh, you are a perfect complement to my personality. You've invested time, caring, and just being with you, our children, your love, passion, and faith. Thank you, Nancy. Um, Murray, even though he is not technically a father, he loves the kids at soul with a father's love. He prays, talks, and loves to hang out and be a part of their lives. And so there's a couple that came in, but this one where we've chosen to give the tenderloin to this year, and it says, a soul man who has impacted my life is my dad. He helps me when I'm made sad. He loves me and I love him. He congratulates me whenever I do good. He cares for me. He always wants to teach me more, and I love that. Brooke Watts. And so I'm going to ask Steve Watts to come forward this morning. Let's honor him with this huge beef tenderloin. Stand with me, please. Enjoy, Steve. Ancient time, the one who blessed... Extend his hands for blessing those receiving the blessing did likewise. Here it is. May God be in your head and in your understanding. May God be in your eyes and in your looking. And may God be in your mouth and in your speaking. And may God be in your heart and in your thinking. May God be in your coming in and your going out. And may God be with you all week. It's been a full morning.